So often when we connect with somebody, we connect over the things that we have in common. Sure. But there's a real danger of that, which is that we don't appreciate difference, we don't draw out difference, and we don't benefit from the different perspectives that we have. Yes. It's just human nature to say, you care about them, I got this, so let's connect over that. But the yes. truth is, we have to get over the saying that we have in our parlance of we connected despite our differences uh-huh. and change it to we connected because of our differences. I'm Shannon Huffman Polson, and I want to welcome you to Facing the Wind, season two of the Grit Factor podcast. We are going to have a great time this season with episodes bringing you experts from around the world in leadership, grit, resilience, purpose, and storytelling. I've listened to you over this last year, your comments, your responses, your conversations, your questions, and this really is a season that has been designed with you in mind. This really is a season that's been designed to answer those questions that you need to know in order to fulfill that mission that I know we have in common, that mission of the Grit Institute, which is building courageous leaders for a better world. We're doing that through our courses online at thegritinstitute.com, through our books, and of course, through this podcast. And if you have a question you'd like to have included, please head over to thegritinstitute.com forward slash podcasts and leave your voicemail. It may be included on a future episode. Meanwhile, head over to your favorite podcasting platform and hit subscribe. Then go over to YouTube and hit subscribe as well. We'll be posting the uncut interviews over at YouTube. And of course, follow along at Shannon H. Polson and the Grit Institute on Instagram and at LinkedIn. I can't wait to see you for this season. You don't want to miss a single episode. The need for mentorship comes up again and again anytime we run into challenges, but it's really a critical ingredient for success at all times. Leadership development always, always depends on relationship. Whether it's veterans transitioning to corporate, someone taking a new position, or planning for future contribution, mentorship plays a key role. The senior leaders that I interviewed while researching for The Grit Factor all attribute mentorship in one or usually many kinds to their success. That's why I'm so excited to talk with Lisa Fain today. I met Lisa through a women's business organization several years ago, where we discovered we were both speaking at an event in California, and we've stayed connected ever since. Lisa is the CEO of Center for Mentoring Excellence and an expert in the intersection of cultural competency and mentoring. Her personal and professional goals were met when she realized she wanted to help people mutually learn and grow from one another. In this episode, we discuss the importance of establishing the proper mentoring relationship and the rules that should come along with it, as well as some pro tips for goal setting, career advancement, and setting up the perfect workplace. Welcome, Lisa, to The Grit Factor. Great to have you. So happy to be here, Shannon. Thanks for having me. I love that we connected through a business network now a number of years ago and have stayed in touch via skiing and mentorship and business and speaking and all of the many things that we share in common. And it's just a natural extension for you to join The Grit Factor to talk about a subject that is really important to pretty much everybody that I talk to, every leader and every person who wants to be a leader. So tell us how you got into a little bit about yourself and how it is that you got into the field of mentoring. Well, it's been a bit of a red thread, but it's pretty circuitous. So I am a lawyer by training. I was a management side employment lawyer. 
counseling employers on how to avoid litigation and helping defend litigation and realized through the course of that work that um, so much of what came to me as a lawyer came too late. And it could have been prevented had employee had had employers and employees had real conversations with one another where they really drove to understanding, where they created relationship, where they saw each other, like really saw each other as human beings. And so I was really drawn to the counseling piece. I'm not so much litigation piece, but the law firm world tends to push you in the litigation uh, realm. And um, after many years of practicing in a law firm, went in-house to create um, uh, employment policies for a company that was getting ready to be poised for an IPO. And later didn't have an IPO, but it was acquired by another company. But um, at the time, I was my job was to help create fair and equitable policies that created an underpinning of an inclusive workplace without using the term inclusion. Sure. And as I as I began to dive into that, I realized that our company couldn't create the kind of environment that it wanted to create until it had more diversity within its ranks. Um, there were amazing leaders, great people, but. From a, even from a visible uh, diversity standpoint, that just wasn't present. So it was a recommendation that I made from a liability perspective as the company's in-house employment attorney that we had to work on getting some more DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And they said, hey, can you go figure that out for us? Wow. And I said, um, well, I've got this other job. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> but um, honestly, like my love language is go is when somebody tells me to go figure something out. That's like that. Those are like magic words to me. And it was something that I cared about anyway. So I began to research the DEI world, hire D- diversity consultants. Um, and then long story short, uh, but a couple of years later, as we were looking for a full-time diversity, equity, inclusion practitioner in the firm, in the company, um, I moved into that role, really realizing that that's where I wanted to be. Fabulous. In the course of that, um, began to coach executives on informally and said to my boss at the time, I love this coaching thing, but I think I'm doing a pretty good job, but I probably should get some education to make sure I'm doing it right. So she sent me to coach school as part of my professional development. Fantastic. classes, teleclasses, 10 o'clock at night, three o'clock in the morning, whenever I could, because I had little kids, full-time job. But again, I love to learn. So um, it just really scratched an itch. And as I began to coach people and to work in the DEI world, I started to see where the needle was really moving in the workplace was people would have relationships across difference. We would have training. We would have... um, Leadership alignment sessions, employee resource groups, all these things super important and really um, create a great foundation, but they wouldn't move the needle the way action would move the needle. Right. And action was when you had this individual accountability. So very long story, made only slightly shorter, is our women's group wanted a mentoring program, uh, our women's resource group. And they came to me and they said, we need a mentoring program. And I happen to have a mother who founded the Center for Mentoring Excellence, which is the organization that I now lead. And I called her up and I said, mom, what do I do? She said, well, bring me in and uh, let me let me train the mentors and the mentees with some reluctance because I managed a budget. I didn't want to bring my mommy in. I ended up bringing my mommy in and she did a great job. And I had this epiphany as she's at the front of the room talking about the transformative power of mentoring. Wow. I really remember bending my head Shannon and I was like writing notes and I thought, wow, like 
this really connects the dots between the frustration that I'm feeling about not moving the needle in the workplace and the power of relationships that I'm seeing and what she's talking about, about developmental relationships. So over the course of two years, I transitioned into moving from the corporate world to leading Center for Mentoring Excellence. And now I work with organizations all around the world to help them create more inclusive cultures through mentoring. That is, I mean, what an incredible serendipity or, or not. It depends on how it is that you look at that, I guess. But I mean, that's just, just an incredible uh, conjunction and confluence of all of these things that, uh, that are both your background and your passion and, and your family. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. yeah, it all came together. And if you had asked me to predict it, there's no way I could have, right? I probably would have thought you were crazy if you were to say I wouldn't be an entrepreneur having gone to work with my um, mother right, and um, and then, you know, not having a corporate world, not practicing as a lawyer um, and going out and speaking around the world, I would have thought you were nuts, but here we are. And I am loving every minute of it. I, I love it. I, I love it. Uh, well, I have so many questions and different ways that we should take this because again, I talk to leaders and people who want to be leaders all the time and clients who have some of these same concerns. And one of the questions that comes up again and again is, is, wow, do we use mentoring? Do we do we develop a program? Is it something that should be more formal or more informal? Talk a little bit about how it is that a, a company or an organization might consider whether they use mentorship in a more formal way or in a less formal way, and then how to think about integrating that into their leadership development. Yeah, I love that question. The answer is, when you ask me the question formal or informal, the answer is yes. Both and. Yeah. It's always both and, Lisa. It's always both and, right? <laughs> Look, research shows that uh, organizations that have informal cultures of mentoring show markedly more progress, exponentially more progress than those that have formal mentoring programs, except what that doesn't account for are two things. Number one, that those organizations first have a culture of development right? Which often comes in the form of mentoring programs. And number two, that research doesn't hold true when you look at it from an equity lens. Right. So if you are looking to create a culture where there are mentoring relationships and you can harness the power of mentoring, women and people of color are not going to benefit to the same degree as men and and white folks, right? Sure. And And so creating a mentoring program helps create equity in mentoring and helps foster the kind of culture that has both formal and informal mentoring relationships. Yes. Whereas if you start from informal, you neither have the equity lens nor the benefits that you get of measurement from a formal mentoring culture or the uh, equity piece of it. So both and is really the answer. And for those that have the informal mentoring as part of their culture, although there are clearly some drawbacks or, or some things that could be missing, is that something that's typically stated or how is it that they've got, they've developed that in the course of growing their culture? Yeah, it's very rarely stated as a mentoring culture. It's sometimes stated as a learning culture and sometimes it's not stated at all. And many cases, you'll find it in pockets, unless it's articulated formally, which is, again, is very rare. You find it in pockets within organizations. You find it in leaders who have grown up through the benefit of mentoring and have formalized it. You find it in the way that inclusive leaders communicate inclusive leaders benefit from mentoring communicate, but you very rarely see an organization that says we have a mentoring culture and means it and knows what that is without a mentoring program. Sure. 
Sure. Okay. So then thinking about that, uh, if an organization either has an informal mentoring culture or wants to develop a formal mentoring culture, whether or not they have the informal, actually, and I, I imagine that these are two different scenarios, what do they start to consider as you think about moving towards uh, a more formal program? And what are the, some of the things that they need to consider to put into place? Yeah. So the first question I always ask is why? Yeah. <laughs> why, why do you want a mentoring culture? What are you trying to do here? Are you trying to um, uh, create a more equitable and inclusive workforce? Are you trying to attract and retain the best talent? Are you trying to reduce turnover? Are you trying to improve employee engagement? Um, what are you What are you trying to achieve? Right. Right. Are you trying to become a workplace of choice? And and why? Right. Right. Because sometimes I ask those questions and I offer up those examples and people say yes, yes, that and that and that and that and that. <laughs> but if, as you know, if you aim for everything, you're yes. going to get nothing. So the first thing is, what are you trying to create? Sure. And why? Um, and once you consider what those outcomes are, you can start to design a mentoring initiative. Okay. Um, and the reason I just want to connect the dots on one thing I said before, because I think it will help me answer this question as well, which is when I start talking about a learning culture, I think it's really important to remember that learning is the purpose, the process, and the product of mentoring, right? So you can't have a true mentoring culture without having a culture that values learning, that values the, that understands that my investment as your manager in your learning is a benefit to you, a benefit to me, and a benefit to the organization. Sure. That. I make it an extra, right? If I make it as a, hey, can you squeeze this in, in between, you know, this KPI, you need to do this one, but right. That it's just not going to be, if there's no accountability for it, you're not going to end up with a learning culture. So first thing is, is why, what are you trying to accomplish? The second is, are we willing to make the time, uh, the time investment, not just in mentoring itself, yep. but in creating accountabilities around measurement. Sure. In sure. Um, uh, our conversations, our one-on-one conversations between manager and employee, in our leadership conversations, in our communication strategy, right? So all of that. So we look at that. There's really, there's several pillars that we think about. We think about the purpose. We think about the measurement. We think about support. Training of mentors and mentees is really important because mentoring is a pretty promiscuously used term, right? <laughs> People may mistake it with coaching, role model, manager. I mean, you know, there's people I've asked about mentoring and they're like, well, Oprah's my mentor. Fantastic. Do you know her? Oh, Does she know you? Right. Yes, yes, yes. Oprah's your role model. Right. Uh, maybe she's your mentor if you're one of the lucky few. Sure. But the truth is, um, she's probably somebody you admire. She may be a role model. She may be um, a hero. But likely not your mentor. So, so really creating some expectation and understanding of what mentoring is and then creating capacity for mentoring. Okay. Creating capacity with mentor for mentors to mentor and mentees to really drive their own learning. Yes. Yes. That makes sense. That's great. Yeah. So, uh, when you think about mentoring relative to its relationship to inclusion, and putting this relationship, this formal mentoring program in place so that you are both both developing leaders, but also moving the needle on inclusion. How do you think about the connection of those two things? Yeah. Um, you know, here's the, um, the two-edged, a two, 
edged coin, two edged sword, two sided coin. I'm mixing my metaphors, but you get the idea. Um, there's two sides to this um, notion of having formalized DEI initiative in um, organizations. First of all, it's critical. It's critical to have somebody minding the ship. It's critical to somebody keeping the organizations accountable. Yes. The problem with it is that organizations have come to believe that it is the responsibility of the DEI professional to create an inclusive work environment. Yes. And you can't, that's not something that's delegable. No, right? not. The leader has to set this example, right? Exactly. The same, the same way that if you have a talent team, they're not responsible for, 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 uh, creating all the great leadership within an organization. Exactly. They're responsible for making sure you got the right education. They're making sure, responsible for developing maybe even what leadership competencies are, but they can't make everybody good leaders. Right. Same thing, right? right. So um, the beauty of mentoring is when you create a relationship where, we'll, we'll talk for a second just about one-on-one -on -one mentoring, although this can apply in other forms of mentoring too. Sure. When you create a relationship where a mentor and a mentee are accountable for co-creating a relationship sure. where the results are measurable, where they're held accountable to creating a learning environment, where they set learning goals uh, and all of those things, there's some accountability to creating a really effective relationship. Sure. And so I no longer think about inclusion as your responsibility or DEI's responsibility or somebody else's responsibility. I think of creating an inclusive relationship as my responsibility, whether I'm the mentor or the mentee, because I got to make sure that I can relate authentically to my mentoring partner. Sure. Sure. I love that. Actually, that's fantastic. So what, yeah. what are some of those things that you're measuring that help to make sure that that's the case? Uh, well, let's talk about, you know, goal. First of all, uh, goal setting. Sure. Right. Um, so it's, it's setting and achieving individual goals. But if an organization, again, and, and sometimes the measurement is different, the measurement is often different uh, between organizations because the goals are different. But, you know, sometimes it's a simple Likert scale, zero to five, right? How satisfied, how, how much do I see a future for myself at this organization at the beginning of the relationship, the middle of the relationship, and the end of the relationship? Sure. A little subjective, not highly scientific, but yeah. still you can start to see trends. Uh, and for mentors, maybe it's, um, you know, I understand my role in creating an inclusive work environment, like a scale, zero to five, zero to five, oh. zero to five, middle getting middle end, right? Sure. Maybe it's, I feel some agency in creating my future in, in creating my future at XYZ company. Sure. Maybe it's, I really believe this organization cares about creating an inclusive work environment, zero to five. Yeah. But it's not just the quantitative, it's also the qualitative, right? There's qualitative measurements and the testimonials and the um, uh, ahas that we hear from mentors and mentees alike about what they have seen as a result of these relationships. Sure. That is what this part that to me is the most exciting. When I hear a senior leader who's been in an organization for 40 years say, you know, by mentoring somebody, you know, 30 years my junior, I learned about all of these holes in these processes that we have as an organization that I created 30 years ago, but then no longer work for this generation that's coming through now. Yes. Right. Yes. Those like, wow, that's cool. Well, and I mean, what I love about that example, and I remember this being one of the initial ideas behind 85 broads that became elevate at some point yep. is that, uh, that, that mentors learn as much from their mentees as the mentees learn from the mentors. And that it should always be a reciprocal engagement. A hundred percent. And you know, that's what really is so, to me, so exciting about mentoring. There's really no other relationship in the workplace 
where two people with a po- some sense of power distance, right, co-create the terms of their relationship in a really mutual way, and then both give and both get. Sure. And, um, you know, I often say that the three um, characteristics that really distinguish mentoring are this idea of co-creation. Okay. Reciprocity mm-hmm. and learning, co-creation, reciprocity, and learning. There, you don't have that in a manager-manager-manager-supervisor-manager-employee uh, relationship. Sure. You certainly don't have that in a, a relationship with a leader and a, a bunch of people on a team, right? Right. You may individually, but you got the idea of co-creating the terms of the relationship. Yes. Is what's really cool, really, really cool. And as you say, the reciprocity piece. Uh, mentors, they become better leaders. The data really shows that mentors become better leaders inside and outside of the mentoring relationship because of mentoring. That's amazing. So I just talked to a client the other day who was asking questions about the potential of this mentoring role that she was both looking for, but also wanting to provide and, uh, and talked about some of the challenges because in previous examples, it had sort of turned into a social session. And it, it seemed to me that, that they had missed that first piece, that co-creating those the, the terms of the relationship. And I think that's something that's unique to mentoring, right? As opposed to just having coffee with the VP once in a while. How would you think about a successful mentoring relationship and how it is that those two partners can co-create terms that really work for both of them? Yeah, there's two pieces to that. So let me just set a little bit of context, which is that, Good mentoring rests on good conversation and good conversation is where you're balancing the learning and the relationship. So there's got to be some element of having some sips of coffee and connecting, right? And if you're always spending your time on connecting, you're never spending your time on learning and really benefiting what that relationship is. Similarly, if you're always spending the time on learning and never on the conversation, you're, you may be driving learning goals that really aren't authentic and you're missing the reciprocity piece. So that's the contextual answer. The other answer is we think of mentoring uh, as, as a cycle. Effective mentoring passes through four phases, four phases of the mentoring cycle. And the second phase, the first phase is preparing yourself. The second phase is about setting agreements. And we actually call it a negotiating phase. And so um, we've got a lot of pushback on that term, negotiating. Like that's not the way we create relationships. It's not, you don't start with a negotiation. What is this, a prenuptial? And the answer is a little bit. It is like a prenup, right? Sure. In that you want to create the terms of the relationship at the beginning of the relationship to discover how does each, how do you each learn best? What are the guardrails that we want to set? And it's not that you can't renegotiate them, but by using the term negotiation, yeah. it helps to think about that co-creation element. It helps to just to empower the mentee to have as much say in the terms right. of that relationship as the mentor. And it really it has to be a deliberate conversation. Sure. So it sure. might be, you know, all right, Shannon, um, you know, I'm thinking this we should meet, we should have an initial mentoring for maybe about a year. What do you think about meeting every other week for a few months or, you know, nope, that doesn't work for me. Let's do it monthly for a little bit longer. And are we going to keep an agenda and what kind of things are going to be on that agenda and what might be off limits? And we really can provide people with a set of questions that they can take and create a set of agreements. I cannot tell you, I can't count on both hands and both feet, the number of times that mentoring pairs have come to me when we've talked to them you know, three months in, six months in, and they said, oh, things are going a little bit off track. And I said, go back to those agreements that you set sure, and coach them into having those conversations. And they're able to get their mentoring relationships, not just back on track, but super successful because they've set the guardrails in a way that's in a no fault way. 
and sets the expectations of what success is. Right. Yes. Yes. No, that's fantastic. So given that, if you were a young leader uh, who really realized that you would benefit from a mentor, which I think we can probably agree that all of us would, or all of us have, or all of us should, uh, how would you go about looking for that mentor? And how would you go about starting that conversation? Yeah. So the first thing is to think about is not to ask the question who, but to ask the question what. So what is it that I want to learn? Because there are different mentors for different uh, purposes, different stages. Yeah. Uh, you might be a great mentor for me on how to become the kind of leader that I want to be. Sure. But you might not be the best uh, uh, mentor to help me think about my thought leadership in the mentorship arena. Right. 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 And so um, just too, too often people start with who and then they back their way into what and they end up disappointed because their mentor can't deliver what it is that they want to learn. So what do I want to learn first? Right. And then they start to, you start to ask the question, who, but not like who, you know, who do I admire? And can I sit down and can I ask you right away? Can you mentor me? Right. Because that's like, can you marry me on the first date? Right. That's just not going to work. Sure. Um, I, you want to, you want to think about what it is you want to learn. You want to think about what it is you might be able to teach me. And then you want to have an introductory conversation, much like a first date. Sure. Of, hey, Shannon, I love the way that you have um, set your thought leadership out. And I'd love to learn from you a little bit on that. Would it be okay? Yeah. You know, if we met for about an hour and I asked you some questions about that and I can get a sense then of, do we have a learning fit? Yes. Um, do you have the, the willingness, the time, um, the patience for me and my quirks, sure. right? Sure. And vice versa, right? Um, and then start to continue the conversation and see if this could be the kind of relationship and eventually say, I've learned a ton from you the couple of times we've met. Would you be willing to um, create a more formal mentorship out of this? And what would that look like for you? Right. And then we can start to negotiate those terms. Right. Right. I like that. It's interesting when I was doing the research for the grip factor, some of the things that came up in this arena and it was looking, actually, I looked specifically at one given mentor relationship between someone who became a general officer and a, uh, another person who had been military and now worked at a business school and a couple of things that came up. And I'd love to hear your perspective on both of these is the first was that it came up because of shared interests. They, they came together because of shared interests and, and the comment uh, that this general made was that, you know, they tried to put me with another woman because they assumed because I was a woman, I should be mentored by a woman. But in fact, we had nothing in common, the two women. And actually this man had a ton in common with the things that I was interested in. And so that was a better fit from the interest perspective. But the other piece that came out of that was how important it was to find mentors who weren't necessarily just like you. It wasn't just another woman or another man or another person of color, that there needed to be more than one mentor and that at least one of those mentors should probably be somebody a little bit different. How do you think about those two aspects of uh, mentorship? Yeah, that's where that, I I couldn't have said it better than you just said it. So I'm just going to reflect back what you said, which is what I want to say, <laughs> which is, um, look, it's really so often when we connect with somebody, we connect over the things that we have in common. Sure. But there's a real danger of that, which is that we don't, we, we don't appreciate difference. We don't draw out difference and we don't benefit from the different perspectives that we have. Yes. It's just human nature to say you care about them. I got this. So let's connect over that. But the okay. truth is we have to get over the saying that we have in our parlance of we connected despite our differences uh -huh. and change it to we connected because of our differences. I like, right. So, so yes, of course you have to have 
some shared interest, some shared goal, because you're going to learn together. Sure. But there is power in relationships across difference, both in terms of learning, right. in terms of different perspectives, and then also in terms of creating inclusive environments as well. Having said that, you know, as a woman, I often, uh, and who works with organizations, sometimes to create mentoring programs for women, a lot of questions that I get are, well, should we restrict our mentors to women or our mentees to women? Um, and the answer is, it depends. Okay. Right. Always. Here we are again. It depends. Um, it's a, look, if you as a woman are one of very few in an organization and you want to know how to succeed as a woman in the organization, it's going to make sense to have a woman right. as a mentor. Yes. Um, but don't make the mistake that men can't be allies, can't be powerful mentors and can't help drive the needle on inclusion as much. Right. Uh, sometimes even more because of where their power and access is sure. Um, sure. And, than women as well. So there's yeah. really a both and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything's both and, isn't it? When it comes right down to mm-hmm. it. <laughs> both yeah. and and it depends. I totally yeah. agree. That's right. Well, think about an example, maybe either in your own life or in your experience working with others where you saw the difference at, that a mentorship program could make, maybe from a, an organization that didn't have one to an organization that then put one in play. And again, those can be anecdotal results because I know a lot of this is, but um, what, what have you seen in this work that has been inspiring you to continue and, and to take this to the next level? Well, I'll give you a, a recent example and I, I won't share the name of the client because I have not asked their um, permission, but uh, we, the term that most people use of reverse mentoring, we've sort of renamed to something called complementary mentoring, complementary mentoring, feeling more suited. So reverse mentoring is this notion that more junior employees mentor more senior employees who get uh, more visibility, the more junior mentor um, gets exposure and the more senior mentee gets an understanding of different viewpoints within the organization, um, maybe more uh, inclusive mindset, maybe more of an understanding of technology. I never liked the term reverse mentoring because it has this um, implicit um, uh, reference to the fact that the more junior person wouldn't have something uh, to to offer and all mentoring is reciprocal. So the concept is a little messed up. So we started to call it complementary mentoring, which is the idea that both people bring something and both people gain more of a mutuality. Okay. So to answer your question, um, we worked with a global organization that has a complementary mentoring initiative. And the recently kind of, while we're, we were closing out the program, the, um, most uh, the mentees, so this is the senior leadership team of a global organization, um, started to relay some of the stories of the benefits of this relationship. And it was things um, anecdotally uh, that really started, that backed up the data, but I hadn't heard it in the same terms. So one of the most senior folks in the organization had reported that he gained a confidant and was able to, start to bounce ideas off of his mentor to find out how they would land within the organization. Sure. Um, Because the other people in his circle of influence were all kind of generationally the same and had this perspective of automatic buy-in that the young generation didn't have. Similarly, the mentees were like, wow, I see a new path within the organization. I've started to have stretch assignments that I never had before. I have access to sponsors and allies that I never had before. Um, And there was just an infusion of energy. 
And I would say, I know this is a woo-woo measurement, but I'm going to offer it anyway. At the beginning, when I started working with this organization, there wasn't a lot of energy in the room for the mentees. At the end, it was like, wow, what an opportunity I've had. How I'm so eager to pay this forward and to begin to apply some of these skills to the people that I manage. Um, And the mentees realizing that like, they're actually this idea of reciprocity, this idea of really getting to know somebody um, and and creating an expanded perspective is transformative in our work. That's fantastic. That's really neat. Yeah. No, I, I absolutely believe you can feel that energy. There's no question mm-hmm. about it. So yeah. it's not woo-woo at all. Not, not too much. <laughs> How would you think about mentorship for so many people that are branching out on their own, right? That are not in organizations anymore. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't. Um, but they're they're like like you or like me. Uh, or they're, they're running their own business. They're running their own company and probably don't have access in any kind of an immediate way to mentorship in certainly not formally. What, what would you recommend for them? I know there's going to be some of the things that are the same, but, but how would you go about looking for mentors? And, and in part, I'm asking for myself. I will tell you, this is something I believe passionately in. I have been a mentor. I have rarely had a mentor and I realized it as, as something that's missing, to be honest. Yeah, you're not alone, Shannon. And in fact, I often feel similar. I'm here in this world now it's, and you know, we've gotten to a level in organizations where there's some visibility and people reach out and say, can you mentor me? And I say yes, whenever I can. Sure. And then I realize I, I need that too. I need yes. that too in an organization. So the first is, to, is, the, is what we've talked about before. What is it that you need to learn? Where's the gap? Right. Um, I will say, you know, there's, you, we get to a stage where it's like, I know who I'm going to resonate with. I, I know I'm using air quotes for those who are listening to the audio. I know who I'm going to resonate with. Um, and that can be a real um, mistake for us because again, you want to, you want to be attracted to those different perspectives, but so find out what it is you want to learn start spreading the word. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm looking, I, I, I actually feel like there's a huge gap in my knowledge in this, uh, in thought leadership and in influencing in podcasting, whatever it is. Sure. Um, and I'd love to kind of learn from the best and start asking people almost as if you wanted to be set up on a date, right? Uh, yeah. Like, who do you know that's the best in this, in this field who, you know, might be a good match for me and asking people, would you mind making an introduction? Yes. And then don't, don't like scare them away by saying, will you marry me? Sure. Right? <laughs> That's right. Because we're getting stuff done around here, right? You can't do it that way. Because we're getting stuff done. Right. Exactly. Like, look, you know, uh, my friend Shannon recommended that I talk to you. She said, you know, a ton about, um, you know, how to influence in the uh, social media world. I, I'm hoping you might be willing to spend half an hour with me, just I can hear a little bit about what you've learned. You're wondering if you might know somebody who might be a match, that kind of thing. Sure. And um, and then step back and reassess afterwards. Nurture the network. I mean, this may not be the right person. In all likelihood, it won't be the first time. Right. Um, but it's the start of a conversation. Sure. And um, you know, at our at the stage that you and I are in our career, we've built up some social capital sure. um, with our own network, and it's a good time to leverage that to to start to find mentorship opportunities. Right. And so being really clear with the person who's setting you up, air quotes again, yes. that you're looking for mentorship and you know, continuing to, to get the word out there can be really, really helpful. And then eventually be explicit in what you're asking for. Sure. Not right sure. away, but eventually, um, you know, you want to, 
define the relationship so that you can proceed through those four stages of the mentoring cycle and really set up those terms um, in a way that um, works for both of you. Yes. Yes. No, I love that. That's great. It does. It's funny how you go out on your own and you start to figure stuff out by yourself and you realize at some point you're like, you know, I would be stronger by building this team. And I wrote a whole chapter in the grit factor about it, right? I believe it. I've seen it. I know the science behind it. And it's, it's so interesting how we don't do that necessarily for ourselves, what we're, we're doing for others. So just beware the drive, beware the temptation in those informal mentoring relationships for folks like us who are on our own, of just a drive by conversation of just saying, Shannon, thanks so much for your time. I'll call you if I ever need, I'll call you again if I have an issue. Sure. Of like keep up the consistency. Yeah. Um, because the discipline of doing that is what's going to yield to some of those results. Sure. Um, and it's so easy to just say, you know, I don't need anything right now. Right. So, right. Um, anyway, no, that's yeah. a great, I mean, it's just relationship, right? At the end of the day, totally. so everything is relationship. Everything is relationship. It's a helpful reminder. You've worked uh, with, with corporate groups as, as well as the military, I think. Is that right? Yep. I have. So tell me a little bit about any differences that you've noticed between the two. Yeah. Well, let me uh, clarify when I say I've worked with the military. I'm so um, proud to be on the board of an organization called Military Mentors, which does um, uh, work with uh, vets and uh, active duty military to really, they say, create a conversation, spark a transformation, leadership work and mentorship work. Yeah. Um, so the work that I've done in the military is different than the work that I've done in the corporate environment. Having said that, all effective mentoring work is work that is culturally, that considers cultural context, organizational yes. cultural context, right? And so um, recognizing that in the military, and you can speak to this firsthand way better than I can. Sure. But there is you know, one of the cultural continuum that some of the cultural um, scholars talk about is authority and autonomy. Mm. Right. And so in the military culture, obviously, um, uh, it's going to lean more towards authority. What's the authority? Authority is follow, doing what you're told, following orders above kind of following your own path. Yeah. Right. Whereas at least in American corporate society, it tends to lean way more towards autonomy. Right. Follow your own path. And if you question not in all organizations, but in many, if you question authority, you do it in a way that leads you to your own individual accomplishment. Right. So so when you're setting up mentoring relationships in the military realm, there's an additional thing to be thinking about. How do I balance this idea of a high um, uh, orientation towards authority with creating, with co-creating a relationship, sure. right? It becomes a lot harder to bridge that um, power differential Yes, when we have a culture of authority. So really being attuned to that. There's no, I don't have a magic bullet. I don't have a you know check to write with a certain amount that's going to solve what that is, but it's really being attuned to it and, and you know, calling out that elephant in the room where you might say, you know, Lieutenant, um, this is hard for me because, uh, you know, I, I know that we're used to a different kind of relationship. How can we neutralize this here? And then the mentor, the Lieutenant saying, look, um, here's some of the things that we need to be thinking about. Here's what I need to do sure. to, to neutralize that. So a more of a conscientiousness around that is really, really important. Yeah. And uh, also remembering that it's about development and not just performance. Mentoring is about development and not just performance, which also can be more difficult in a military setting. Sure. 
Sure. Yes. So what, what does it mean to be a learning culture? Mm. What it, to, to have, excuse me, what does it mean to have a learning relationship? Right. What does it mean to develop beyond the confines of what it is that my uh, um, rank, my assignment, my do my current duty is requiring me to do? And where's the learning coming from um, as well? It's a different mindset, but it also um, can be super exciting to start to see um, and really in both contexts, I, I'm so proud of the work that Military Mentors has done. I can't take uh, credit for that. I just get to ride the glory um, of the work that they're doing. But um, it, it, makes a, it makes a big difference to start to think about things from a learning perspective. Sure. No, I, I actually, I love that perspective. And we all need to be making sure that we have learning cultures, right? Uh, what, however it is that we need to get there. What would be t- a final takeaway that you'd recommend for anybody who's listening in on, on mentorship? But I would say the takeaway is this. If you are looking to become more engaged in, the, in your own workplace, if you are looking to create a more engaging workplace, then you know consider mentorship as the way to take individual accountability and agency. Sure. Consider the importance, whether it's mentorship or any other relationship, of creating meaningful relationships at work with people who are different from you in some substantial way. Right. And then find a mentor. Be a mentor, find a mentor, find a mentee, be a mentee, and really engage in the co-creation of that relationship. Embrace the structure, mm-hmm. which so many of us resist, myself included, even though I do this work, of like having those negotiating conversations, setting those agreements, creating feed, ongoing feedback, yeah. because that's how you really begin to yield the results that you're that mentoring can yield. I mean, this sounds like great relationship advice for any relationship too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Your, your next career is a marriage counselor. That's right. Oh, God help us. Yeah. <laughs> Lisa, Military Mentors is lucky to have you. We're all lucky to have you. And I'm so grateful for everything that you've been able to share today. Thank you. I know this is going to be incredibly valuable to a number of people. And uh, we'll make sure that we, in the outro, leave more information on your books and where people can find you because those are excellent resources as well. So thank you so much. Thank you, Shannon. Great to be with you. (laughs) Great to be with you. If you enjoyed this conversation, would you subscribe, share the episode, and leave us a review? This makes a huge difference in people finding the podcast. And make sure to download your free copy of The Grit Factor Manifesto at www.thegritinstitute.com forward slash manifesto.